Welcome everybody to the Help for Hip Dysplasia podcast. I'm your host, Laura Rutterford, a physiotherapist, Pilates instructor, and fellow hippie. We're here to talk about all things hip dysplasia, to build a community, to support and guide each other through the ups and the downs. If you like the podcast, please share it and rate it. It really helps others to find it too. If you have any questions or feedback, please email me at laura at helpforhipdysplasia.com. I also just wanted to let you know that I am now on Patreon with my library of hip-friendly Pilates and mobility classes, my Stand Stronger program, and lots more useful hip-friendly tools. If you want to have a look at this, check this out at patreon.com forward slash help for hip dysplasia, or you can find it in the link in my Instagram bio or on my website. Let's get on with the show. Welcome everybody to the Help for Hip Dysplasia podcast. We are here this week with Heather Colby. Um, Heather is somebody that I've been following for a little while on Instagram and I'm really happy to be meeting her virtually face-to-face today. Hi Heather. <laughs> Hi there, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me on the show and the opportunity really to discuss everything that I've been going through with my crazy hips, as I like to call them, so that you know more people can learn from what I've gone through. I really appreciate you having me on. Oh, you're so welcome. Um, <laughs> I was so intrigued to hear more about your story, especially because we've been messaging a little bit on Instagram and you sent me over an x-ray of your PAO from last year on your right side. And mm-hmm. uh, definitely want to be able to talk about that in a little bit more detail. And um, with your permission, perhaps maybe I'll put up that picture. Um, yeah, absolutely. With all the screws. So um, let's start at the beginning, though, um, and just have a bit of a chat about where your hip dysplasia journey started. When did you first get diagnosed? Where did you even hear the term? Yeah, absolutely. And yes, we definitely have to show that photo because I have not seen another x-ray that looks like mine. And I think that kind of goes back to how all of this started and how hard it was to wrap my mind around everything. So at the beginning of 2020, we're talking pre-COVID here, just January when everything was normal, I started getting some pain in my right hip. And I didn't think much of it. I've always been somebody who was very active. I worked out a lot. I was on my Peloton a ton. I was very active and I thought, okay, it's probably, you know, I just tweaked it doing something. And then I live in Orlando, Florida. So we were walking around, no joke, Epcot of all places. And then all of a sudden my hip just started to hurt. I got this really sharp pain. I'm like, have you ever been to Epcot in Orlando? I have actually. <laughs> I have you. <laughs> so you know, it's this huge circle basically that goes around the lake and we're at the total opposite end of the park. So I just hobble my way through the rest of the evening and then home. And then I'm one of those people that I don't necessarily love going to the doctor. I will admit this about myself. I'm not somebody who is like, hmm, something's wrong with me. I should explore this further. That's not the first thing that pops into my mind because I'd had my hip bother me before and I just kind of, you know, it went away. But this time it was not going away and it had been several weeks and it was getting worse and not getting better. So I decided to go see an orthopedist here in Orlando. And that's really where everything changed. That's where my entire life, I would say, changed. Um, So I met with this orthopedist and he was really great, but I thought it was strange. Like after he had taken my x-rays and he's looking at everything, he's just acting kind of strange. And I thought, no offense to him because he's a fabulous doctor. But I thought, oh man, this guy is kind of weird. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, what is going on here? I was worried, like, did I tear my labrum? Like that was my big concern. Did I tear my labrum? What's going on? Because of course you've done like internet research and he's like, 
yes, your labrum is torn, but you have a lot going on. And I'm like, what does that mean? And that's when he told me that, you know, I had very severe hip dysplasia and I needed to go see somebody who would do a, a hip preservation specialist, basically. And when they said that to me, honestly, my thought was kind of like, when you hear you need to take vitamins, <laughs> you know, I was like, it was this obscure thing like, oh yeah, I need to see a hip preservation specialist because, you know, maybe there's something wrong with my hips in the future. Like actually getting into, no, this is a serious issue. You're going to have these life-changing surgeries. It took me a little bit of time, honestly, to wrap my mind around that. I think I was a little bit in denial at the beginning and then shock, especially, you know, after that probably the second conversation after I'd had x-rays and MRIs, where he's like, here are some surgeons I'm referring you to. They're all over the country. They're, you know, the Mayo Clinic. It's over in St. Louis. It's in Boston, like far away from me. And then that's when it struck me. I'm like, okay, this is serious. And this isn't necessarily something that everybody goes through. So that was my journey of discovery. And luckily my surgeon, or not my surgeon, but my first orthopedist here in Orlando, he knew immediately what was wrong with me. So I didn't go through that long phase of trying to figure it out. So I am thankful for that. There are so many people on there that you hear these stories about five years, 10 years, 15 years worth yeah. of time to get a diagnosis and going through all these incredibly challenging journeys to get there. So yeah, to have that diagnosis straight away from the first person you saw I, you know I have to say is a, is a rare thing from the people that I've spoken to so from that perspective obviously that was incredible that you got that recognition that diagnosis straight away but you did mention that it was you know a day that changed your life um, mm -hmm. and how did you feel when you had that realization moment you were like oh this is serious this isn't something to just think about at some point in my future what were the thoughts that went through your mind in terms of your your life and your activities of daily living and what was the thought process oh yeah well definitely like because I am somebody who kind of avoids the doctor <laughs> I was scared I'm not gonna lie I was scared I was nervous of having any kind of procedures and then as I'm going through this diagnosis this is when COVID was first happening so we're talking about maybe March of 2020 and I'm like, how am I going to have these consultations with these surgeons that are all the way across the country? I, I can't travel to see anybody. So I was very overwhelmed with everything. Um, I was nervous about what to expect. And then going through this, my hip really hurt. So I think that, you know, a lot of people get this diagnosis and maybe they're in mild pain or they've had pain in the past, but I was in excruciating pain pretty much every day from January till I had my PAO in November of 2020. So I had that like getting used to chronic pain too to deal with. So it was all, it was very overwhelming. I mean, I'll be honest, it was a lot to try to manage and figure out. Yeah, absolutely. And so you hear that, you feel these things that feel quite overwhelming. What support did you have around you when you got told this information? So were you given any advice on who to speak to or where to find some more information? Um, what was the kind of next steps on? Yeah, absolutely. So that first orthopedist, he referred me to this out-of-state surgeons. And then I started doing my own internet research, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and I came across 
a fantastic Facebook group, um, which you're probably a part of the PAO Facebook group. And then through that Facebook group, I reached out to everybody and I'm like, I don't understand this process of actually just the surgical consultations because, you know, with everything with COVID, like how do you travel? And that's when somebody told me that I went with Dr. Feldman with the Paley Institute and he had just relocated a couple years before down to South Florida from um, New York. So that was huge for me. So it was pretty local, it's like a three hour drive. And I was able to go, I was able to drive down there even with COVID and everything and talk to him in person. Mm -hmm. And then, so having that Facebook group was huge for support and just figuring things out in the beginning. And then my husband, my husband has been my complete rock through all of this. I honestly, I don't know how you could get through something like this without having that emotional support. Like I probably cried more in 2020 than I had my entire life combined. And I'm, I'm not a crier. It's just, it's a lot on you emotionally. And then physically post-surgery, you need somebody to help take care of you physically. And I had a scope on my left hip just, um, I'm just reaching the one week mark actually for that because I'm in between PAO surgeries. I'm having another PAO next Tuesday on my left side. So I've needed his help just from, you know, getting my labrum repaired and stuff, doing things around the house, helping me do stuff. So it is a lot. It doesn't just impact the person who's diagnosed. Whoever you have as a support system or your family, friends, it definitely impacts them as well. Absolutely. And this is something that I've had in conversations with other people recently. And I don't know whether you um, saw, but a couple of months ago, we did um, a hip dysplasia awareness week. And there was a day where we did some interviews um, for Thankful Thursday, um, where people came on to talk about their um, support systems and the people that have helped them through their hip dysplasia journey. Because you're right, it doesn't just affect the person that is going through it. It very much affects the people that are in your day to day life as well. Um, and the amount of support that you can get from those people really determines so much of the journey and how you react to it. So you do mention um, your husband, Colin, in your Instagram. Um, <laughs> just wonderful to acknowledge uh, the support that you're getting from him. And there was there's another thing that I definitely want to bring up after your um, surgery about the, the hotel and the vitamin C that you had. So um, we'll definitely come back to that. <laughs> OK, absolutely wonderful. Um, but I just want to circle back very quickly before we move on to um, the COVID situation, because the COVID situation for anybody who hasn't been going through, you know, physical health problems at the same time mm -hmm. as well has been incredibly challenging emotionally. Um, so going through that and having that at the same time, did you did you feel like there was an additional impact because of COVID and the uncertainty of the times as well? Oh, absolutely. Especially during that initial phase of trying to figure out, well, which surgeon am I going to trust to do this? Because it is huge. And you realize going through this, that some surgeons are more experienced than others. And it's a very limited pool of surgeons that you'll have to work with. Yeah. So having COVID and not being able to necessarily physically explore other options was challenging. And then you also just have you might not be able to take steps that you were originally going to take, whether it comes to physical therapy. So I did um, aqua therapy before my first PAO, mm -hmm. and there was issues and challenges with that when it comes to COVID. And then you just have that general stress and anxiety of what's going on in the world with COVID. So it was, it was very challenging. I myself, just like so many people across the world, it was just an extra stressful layer. 
yeah for sure and you mentioned that obviously usually you would have to fly to go out to these com- consultations with some of the hip surgeons around so mm-hmm. you know obviously you were very lucky that that surgeon had moved to a driving distance for you mm-hmm. but if not had you had you considered what might happen if you didn't have somebody that you could drive to because I'm sure that there are people out there that did have a situation where they didn't have anybody local enough to drive to but also weren't allowed out of their state or their, you know, certain mm-hmm. area because of COVID restrictions. So is that something that you'd contemplated or had a kind of backup plan for how to deal with that if you hadn't had that person move more locally? Oh, absolutely. So when they originally suggested St. Louis, which is a popular choice for PAOs, my husband and I looked into, okay, well, could we rent an Airbnb there for the month? And I know that, you know, that might not be possible for a lot of people, but thankfully we were able to be able to plan for something like that. And then you have the Mayo Clinic up in Minneapolis, which my in-laws live up there. So I was thinking about that. I was thinking about what family do I have across the country that might be near one of these surgeons if I did need to recuperate that way. Um, But when I first went to the Paley Institute and talked to Dr. Feldman, I just knew in my gut that that was the right choice for me because I was planning to see him and then maybe go see another surgeon, like figure out if it was going to be Zoom or whatever. But I felt very comfortable with him. and I felt like he was very knowledgeable and he would be able to help me. So it just, it made so much sense to move forward with getting everything done here in Florida with him. And I'm so grateful for that. And if I hadn't had that Facebook group, I don't know if I would have found him because it was through a recommendation in the Facebook group. So that was huge for me. Those support systems are just invaluable, aren't they? You can't you can't mm-hmm. really replicate that support from people that haven't got that knowledge of dysplasia around you. But to then be in a group where you're surrounded by everybody knowing about your condition, everyone knows what you mm-hmm. have. It's a really refreshing and strange situation to be in where, you know, probably a good 99% of the people that are in your day-to-day life hadn't heard of it before you'd mentioned mm-hmm. it. So yeah, to have that support around is a really, really big deal. And again, if anyone's listening to this and doesn't have um, any groups that they're on or know of anybody else to speak to, um, then please go and find those Facebook groups. I'll put the um, link to the Facebook group um, in the notes for today's show. Um, So moving forwards, you had your right PAO in November of last year, is that right? Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. So this is what I really was intrigued about. You had not only the three screws that a lot of people have for their PAO, but you had 10 screws in your x-ray that I saw and counted up and a little wire that was holding some stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, So can you tell us a little bit about that surgery, what happened and why you needed 10 screws instead of three? Yes, that was quite the surprise. Um, A couple of days after I had woken up and I was in the hospital, the surgeon did say, yeah, we added a couple more screws, just like, you know, added a couple, no big deal. (laughs) And it wasn't until, you know, two weeks later, we had the x-rays, the follow-up x-rays, and we're like, that is a lot of screws. So just to give some backstory on that, my right hip was really bad. Like pre-PAO surgery, I could barely walk. I was, if I, let's say, went to the grocery store, spent 15 minutes walking around the grocery store, I would maybe be in bed the next two or three days. Like that's how extreme my right hip had gotten pre-surgery. So I knew going into it that my rotation was very severe and that I was already in a lot of pain going into the surgery. But during the surgery, something, another strange thing (laughs) that they found out is that my hips don't actually really have any bone marrow in them. 
very just an odd thing to happen. So basically the plates are just on top of each other without the bone marrow. And what that meant was that my hips are the right width, they're adult width, but they said they were as thin as a three-year-old child's hips. So when they went to break the hip, rotate it and screw it back together, they didn't have a whole lot to work with. So that was very surprising during the surgery to find out how thin my hips were. And that's why it needed all of those extra screws. And I think if I hadn't had such an experienced surgeon at that time, I don't know what would have happened to get in there and discover that, and that he was able to, even though I have 10 screws and then that, whatever that wire pin, I think you said the wire, I have no idea what it is. (laughs) I need to ask my surgeon, but um, that he was able to do that. And some of those screws are huge. I think one of my big ones is a nine inch screw. So I can nine inches. That's like, yeah, yeah. They're huge. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. It just like my whole pelvis. So I, I think that that added to the stress of the surgery. I can, obviously, I know a lot of people can see the screws and feel them through your skin, but I can really feel all of that hardware in there. Um, so there was that I did have issues with, I'm just somebody who's very sensitive to medication. Um, we discovered I have a very bad allergy to medical adhesive. So one of the things that happened during the surgery is my body rejected the internal sutures. So about a month, probably about four weeks after the PAO surgery, which I was already recovering very slowly from, I got a really bad infection in my wound. It just wouldn't close. I was super sick, you know, just waking up night sweats. I've never been that sick in my life. And then back to that COVID conversation, it's of course, first thing, you have to go get tested for COVID. Well, that takes, at that time, that took forever, forever, a few days <laughs> during this time frame. I mean, that really slowed me down. It probably took 10, 12 weeks just for my incision to close up which a lot of people that's, you know, the first two weeks or so that will be closed. So for me, I had a lot of setbacks. I have a lot of allergic reactions to things and I was just slow to recover. So sometimes I would recommend like all the Facebook groups are very wonderful for the support, but it's so important that you don't compare your progress to somebody else. Um, for so many different reasons, because you don't want to be upset that you're not reaching what potential they're at, where they're, you know, back on their exercise bike at eight weeks and you're not even walking. But also you don't want to scare yourself that something like what happened to me could happen to them, could happen to the other person watching it. So it's kind of that fine line of balancing the information as well. Um, But now going into the second surgery, I know what to expect. We've talked about a lot of things. I had issues. One of the big issues I had was with the catheters. Um, During the surgery, I was in the hospital for six days, six, about seven days, six nights post-surgery. And they take that catheter out um, while you're still under for anesthesia. But I had, I couldn't use the restroom on my own for a long time. And they kept giving me catheters, straight line catheters. I had like seven in one day. And my husband wasn't there because they were doing it overnight. So I had like extreme anxiety (laughs) going into this surgery, just about catheters, which, you know, in the grand scheme of things is maybe a small thing to the actual PAO surgery, but that was causing me a lot of anxiety. So like I've talked to my surgeons about moving forward, not having that happen again. And then hopefully we can avoid some of the allergic reactions I've had. I did just have my scope last week on my left hip. 
where they, I fixed my labrum, which was torn. And then I guess my cartilage had just disconnected from the bone and you couldn't really see that in the MRI. So they said it will be like an hour long surgery and it ended up being over three hours of repairing my left hip prior to the next PAO. But I am allergic to like, it's crazy sounding, but like tapes and band-aids and stuff. And from the last surgery I got, just like kind of a rash from the bandage on my hip area, but it wasn't really bad. The thing we were concerned about were the internal sutures. Mm -hmm. So they gave me real stitches for the scope. I have three little incisions, they're about an inch long with real like old school stitches. It looks like blue, <laughs> like floss that you would use. But there was some miscommunication in the office and this is a different surgeon than Dr. Feldman and they put little bandages on it. And for some reason, this never happened to me before. I got a really bad reaction with like hives, just feeling very sick. So I'm kind of dealing with that right now. Um, it's been about a week since that happened. I'm even on antibiotics. So I'm just hoping that it just calms down before my next surgery next week. So even though you try to plan for things and I know I'm allergic to certain stuff, I didn't realize how allergic I was to tiny little band-aids that they were going to give me, you know, hives and issues with my incisions. And so you just have to be very mindful of that. And if you know something is you, you have a sensitivity, you really need to speak up because not everybody who reads your charts knows this. Like the surgeon knew that, but the PA that put the little band-aids on, he wasn't as aware. And then me in the doctor's office, I'm thinking, oh, this person knows what they're doing. They know what's going on with me. And I, I shouldn't have thought that, you know what I mean? I should have been skeptical of the little bandages because now I'm dealing with this allergic reaction issue that just complicates things. So that's the big thing. If you are somebody that's like, you're sensitive to medication, you have some kind of allergy. I, ha I have a metal allergy. And honestly, through the PAO group, I saw somebody put in there that they um, were allergic to the screws and were having all kinds of issues. And I had emailed, I know, and I had emailed my surgical team months before my surgery. And I said, I have really bad metal allergies. All my life, I can only wear like fine jewelry. Metals bother me. My Apple watch bothers me. Like that's how sensitive I am. So they're like, doesn't matter. It's surgical screws. The day before my surgery, during the post-op, I bring it up again to my surgeon because I hadn't talked to him specifically. I talked to somebody on his team. That's another tip. Make sure you're always talking to your surgeon and not necessarily everyone around them. I said, I just want to bring up again about my metal allergies. And he's like, what? You have metal allergies? And I'm like, yes. So they were scrambling, you know, the day before to get me the titanium screws. And I don't know what would have happened if I hadn't spoken up about that, brought it up and reminded them that and if I had had metal screws, especially how I'm having re reactions to just band-aids, <laughs> can you imagine if I had all that metal I'm allergic to in my body? So that was a big one um, that I luckily avoided, but thanks to just, you know, leaning into the community, I found out about. So what would you recommend that people do then to um, make sure that these things aren't missed? Like, because sometimes things and things are going to happen when you're a bit groggy from anesthesia or um, are going to happen when you're perhaps asleep or you know things are going to be changed and moved around it, you know is it something that you could consider like putting a sign above your bed that just says I have these allergies please do not mm -hmm. do this or um you know writing it on a leg <laughs> <in permanent Yeah. laughs> before your surgery or something just to remind you mm -hmm. I have 
allergies to adhesives and to certain metals. Um, and we say it and we can laugh about it because it sounds hilarious, but actually just to have a note above your bed or to write something on your leg could mm -hmm. potentially save a whole lot of issues. Um, yes. So yeah, just having it somewhere that's on display and don't feel bad for repeating yourself. Mm -hmm. like if it's your nurse or your surgeon or your physio or anybody else that you're coming into contact with because the healthcare team is massive you will come into mm -hmm. so many people in contact with so many people throughout your journey throughout the hospital that it's worth repeating yourself even though you might get sick of sound hearing yourself say the same things over mm -hmm. and over again but think how much trouble that could save you so yeah stand up for yourself don't assume that people know and just remember to fight for yourself. Oh, absolutely. Make sure that whoever is with you is aware of all of these things. If you have a sensitivity to something, maybe start treating it like you have an allergy to it because I know I had a sensitivity to the bandages. I didn't know I was gonna have such an adverse allergic reaction where it's impacting my sutures and I have to go on antibiotics. Yeah. So if you don't know, make sure you talk about that. In the hospital, they gave me like a, a bright red bracelet that indicated my allergies. And I had taken that off for the pre-op appointment where they put the little bandages on me. Mm -hmm. So maybe continue wearing, <laughs> if you have any bracelets like that, continue wearing them, just speak up, ask. If you don't feel like the other person is confident, don't feel bad about bringing it up because I'd already been told once by somebody on the surgical team that the screws would be fine. But then when I brought it up with the surgeon, they were like, whoa, hold up. No, <laughs> we're not taking that chance. That's yeah. a big thing that I found out. Like you'll come across a lot of medical professionals and a lot of them are really wonderful, but they're probably not ever going to be as knowledgeable as your actual surgeon. So if there is something serious going on with you, you need to make sure that you are in contact with them. And that's what happened too during my infection for my first PAO. I had been communicating with the surgical team. And then when I came in for a follow-up a couple of weeks later, my surgeon was not aware of it. And he was not happy about that. And once I was able to talk to him and he said, oh my gosh, this is an allergic reaction to your internal sutures. He knew right away, we were able to treat it and it would have saved me so much time. Yeah. So I don't want to say you don't want to trust other people, but you need to make sure that you are just asking questions multiple times, making sure you're asking it to the right person, because I just trusted in the fact that, you know, these people are very nice. They're very knowledgeable. They know what's going on. This isn't new to them instead of going right to my surgeon for things that were concerning. So that's something that I would definitely recommend that I didn't do. And I regret for sure. So you've got another surgery coming up next week for your next PAO. So what do you feel like you've learned from going through your uh, PAO surgery for your right and the surgery that you had last week? What sort of are the, your biggest tips, would you say, for going into your next surgery now that you've learned from the first ones, apart from communicating about your allergies and uh, yeah. preferences? I would say that for my first surgery, well, I didn't know what to expect, but it was also very consuming for me mentally. I was just obsessing about it. You know, it's going to happen and being nervous and being worried about it. And that's not good for your health mentally. Um, so for this surgery, even though I could share some of the things I've done to prepare, I've really channeled my energy into other things. I tried to shift my focus into things that make me happy, that motivate me, that I'm passionate about instead of focusing on the surgery. I'm not trying to ignore that it's next week because it's definitely happening next week, 
but I cannot obsess about it like I was doing with the last surgery because that was not healthy for me. That's yeah. a big thing. And everyone, everyone's completely different, right? So there will be some people that will feel calmer if they know a bit more about it and know what to expect and do the research. But there will be some people that know themselves well enough to know that actually that's not going to be useful for them. So maybe just take some time to have a bit of a think to yourself about what is going to be best for you and take that forwards. And, you know, sometimes, you know, I've had people come to me and say, actually, I know that I don't want to know this information. So I want to have a conversation with you about the fact that I don't know, want to know what mm. is going to be expected of me for my rehab afterwards. I don't want to know what's going to be coming because I know that I'll just be more anxious. But I've also had people come and say completely the opposite. I need to know every single detail so that I can <laughs> plan for it and be calmer. So yeah, just maybe take some time to, to think about what it is that you need as a person to help support you in that journey and to tell the people around you because you might be like, I don't want to know anything. But then everybody around you, friends and family who are trying to be supportive and helpful. I've done this research and this is what's coming. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just being confident to communicate that with the, mm -hmm. with the people around you. So um, I don't know whether now's a good time to cycle back to this or not. But um, speaking about the people around you, um, your husband, Colin, booked you a wonderful hotel after your <laughs> last surgery I to do some recovery, which was a bit of a surprise to you. Yes, he is a sweetheart. So he's been a big factor in basically my mental health through all this, in addition to being there to actually help me. And then earlier when I said I didn't want to obsess about it, it's, it's not necessarily knowing what to expect and what the surgery will be like, because for me, that was important too, to know all that as well, to be as well informed as possible. But I'm somebody that like, when I think about something, like I'm thinking about it, like I pour everything into it and I can't pour all of my energy into the negative things from my PAO. You know what I mean? Reading stories where things have gone wrong for people or obsessing about my last circumstance because it didn't go the way that I thought it would go. So for Colin, when he knew that I was going to be having my scope and we traveled out of town for that too, so that we could be with a surgeon that um, worked with my PAO surgeon, which he was actually really good. All things aside from my allergic reaction, <laughs> um, my scope, the actual surgery, um, that went really well. So Colin wanted to just, since we had to travel, instead of staying in some you know boring hotel room where I'm just gonna be extra depressed, he booked us a hotel on the beach because I'm here in Florida, a hotel on the beach with like panoramic views of the ocean. It kind of looked like you were in a cruise ship from the bed. Um, so when I, I had surgery on that Friday, I'll be honest, most of Friday, I pretty much slept. But that Saturday and Sunday, I was able to kind of recover from the bed and even get out onto the balcony, get some fresh air and have that atmosphere. And I think that really helped a lot. I think a lot of the recovery and even the process of dealing with the PAO surgeries is mental. It's mental as much as it's physical. And I, I don't have any shame in saying my last surgery, I definitely somebody who got that, you know, post-surgery blues that you hear about. I was sad. I had days where this was, you know, before Christmas. I was just trying to watch the Disney Christmas decorating behind the scenes special. 
it's this is not an emotional thing and I couldn't watch it because I just kept crying and they're just putting Christmas lights up in Disney <laughs> so you don't know how your body and your mind are going to react to such a severe honestly trauma to your body so Colin's been very supportive trying to keep me focused on good things and just doing little things that he can to just brighten my day so I'm very blessed for my my husband wonderful <laughs> so while we're on the topic of um you know the, the the mental discomfort that comes with this and the mental challenges that go alongside of it um I wanted to just cycle back to a conversation that we had pre-interview today um about struggling to talk about your hip dysplasia mm-hmm. and struggling to voice your thoughts feelings and even just discuss it with people so um, this is something that you've only just recently felt like you can start discussing um, mm-hmm. in public and with other people. And I just wanted to ask a little bit more about that and how you felt when you couldn't speak and then what had started to change to allow you to, to find your voice. Yeah, absolutely. So I felt like when everything first happened, it was just so overwhelming. It was, you think you might have a sports injury and then you go to the doctor and figure out, you know what, my life is going to completely change. And then for my husband and I, last year, we wanted to start a family. So I had that extra, this totally threw my life in a direction I wasn't expecting. Because if anybody here is listening and you've gone through this yourself, you have to get through all your surgeries. You have to wait till time after your surgeries to um, have children. So that changed my life, just maybe a three-year plan, (laughs) you know what I mean? from something we were going to do to something we're going to have to wait years to do. So that made me very upset emotionally. But just talking about it when I would try to articulate to people what's going on, because like you said earlier, 99% of people, they have no idea what this is. I just found myself just getting choked up. Like when the first when I started physical therapy prior to my right PAO, I had to explain to the physical therapist because even though they're medical professionals, they don't even know what a PAO surgery. It is such a unique thing that I just would find myself getting just even choked up and having difficulty even explaining to people what I was going through. And I think that has a lot of, I think a lot of that had to do with my own processing of it. It was difficult for me to explain it to other people because I hadn't come to terms with it myself. Um, so it was a challenge and I'm not necessarily somebody who is super sentimental, very sensitive. So for me to like have this happening was very different than the way I typically process things too. So I had to come to terms with that and accept myself that, you know, there's nothing wrong with me that I'm feeling emotional about this. It's just something that I'm experiencing right now. And it's, it's going to be okay, basically. So what was the, the moment you started feeling a little bit more, more confident? Was there something that happened or a conversation that happened with somebody that meant you felt a little bit more confident to start speaking about it? I think honestly, it was post-surgery and then back to my husband. <laughs> and I have my own podcast uh, about real estate marketing. And I had taken a break from that with everything going on. And I hadn't gotten started doing it again. I also have a full-time job, nine to five job. My husband's like, I think you really need to get back in this and focus your mind on something else. So I think a lot of it had to do with channeling my energy into something proactive and something positive. And I think too, just time, 
You know what I mean? As time goes on, you become more comfortable with it, more comfortable talking to people about it. People still don't understand the hip dysplasia, okay? I mean, even when I was diagnosed, the surgeon, the orthopedist was like, have you heard of hip dysplasia? And I'm like, yes, you know, like for elderly people. Well, for dogs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> dogs. So I've just given up on even explaining that to people. I'm just like, I have a congenital hip issue and I have to have reconstructive surgery. So you have to get past the fact that the average person, even though they want to maybe support you or learn about it, hear from you, they have no reference point for that. And it can be very exhausting to explain it to people constantly. So you don't have to feel like you have to do that if you don't want to, I think is a big thing. And then maybe you just have to phrase it in ways that other people can relate to. Because, you know, here in Central Florida, I live in the Orlando area, this is a big area for retirement. <laughs> so a lot of people come to Florida to retire. So when I was first diagnosed, I was like, oh, this is great. Like I live in Orlando. There's going to be so many people here that are getting this hip surgery <laughs> Like before I realized, no, it's actually a very unique thing. But people think it's the same thing as like a hip replacement. So that, you know, it can be a little challenging when you can literally be golfing just a few weeks after a hip replacement. And in PAO, like you're still, for me, I was still basically in bed a few weeks after the surgery. So either I think just time, time and self-acceptance, I was able to talk about it. Absolutely. And I don't know how sensitive a subject this is, and I hope you don't mind me asking because this is something that hasn't come up yet on the podcast. Um, so please do let me know later and we can edit this out if you don't feel good. Okay. But um, you mentioned that, obviously discovering that you've got hip dysplasia, needing to go through all these surgeries before you think about starting a family, you know, mm -hmm. that's quite a disruption to the plan that you had by the sounds of things. Um, so how did you feel with how it was affecting your plans for starting a family? Like what were the feelings that you had behind that thinking that you had, you know, however long a window you were advised that it might be before you could start? planning that so how did that feel that was probably one of the things that I struggled with the most during the diagnosis because you know I have a busy life I have a corporate job you know my husband's busy too and at the time when I was diagnosed I was 30 I just turned 32 um, so I'm not young but I'm not necessarily old I'm right in that age right where people are starting families so my husband and I we wanted to start um, at the end of 2020 to start trying to have a family. And when this happened and I realized, okay, I don't, I need to have this surgery. Um, immediately I thought, well, how is this going to impact having children? And during my initial consultation with my surgeon, back to that emotional point as well, I couldn't even ask the question. I had my husband ask the surgeon just in case I got upset about it. You know what I mean? But I think I, I, probably leading up to the first PAO, I had to kind of come to terms with it. Like even right now, thinking about that aspect, it makes me sad. You know what I mean? It makes me sad, but I'm doing all of this. And I have to remind myself this, I'm doing all this, not just so that I can have a pain-free life, that I can walk around and do the things I want to do, but also I'm doing all this so that I can start a family. And if I hadn't been diagnosed with this, if my hip hadn't, you know, started really hurting at Epcot that day, I might have had serious complications with a pregnancy. So I am grateful that I found it out ahead of time 
And that's something that I, I have to, you know, always keep in the back of my mind that I'm grateful that I knew about it. So nothing did happen to me later on because my hips were really messed up <laughs> to, to say the least. And that's part of my motivation moving forward, um, continuing to go through another surgery and all the recovery there is that it's part of my life journey to, to what I want out of life, honestly. Wasn't expected, wasn't easy to deal with. Definitely nights where I was crying in bed with my husband and being upset about it. And he's, he's like, it's not stopping our plans. It's just changing them. So that's, I think, how you have to look at it. Absolutely. So was there any advice that they gave about, um, you know, in an ideal world, perhaps how long you would have post-surgery to let things heal before you think about being pregnant or um, going mm -hmm. down that route? Yeah, absolutely. So my surgeon said at least a year after your PAO surgery, you need to wait at least a year before you try to get pregnant. Well, you try. Um, and then before you try to get pregnant. And then also a lot of times they recommend a year in between the surgeries. So I waited and this was something that if you don't have to do this, don't from my diagnosis to my surgery was about nine, 10 months that I waited for that surgery. And during that time, I just got worse and worse and worse, but I had to wait because at the time we lived in a condo with a spiral staircase and it, and with the bathroom upstairs and it just, it would not have worked at all. And we were building a house, which I'm in right now. So we were waiting, of course, everything else. We've got COVID, we're building a house. We've got my PAO surgery. So we were waiting for that, for that to happen. So I had this long wait. But ideally, they wanted me to do a year in between the surgeries. But with that first initial wait and knowing when to start a family, that's why um, I decided to do my two surgeries, the PAO surgery, six months apart. And my surgeon was okay with that. We monitored it. We got x-rays um, to make sure that I could do that so that I'm not even further away from starting a family. That was a big part of it. That's why I didn't wait to do this left side at the end of this year, like, they kind of like you to do have the full year of recovery and then I'm like no I, I need to get this over with <laughs> so yeah it, it was a big impact yeah absolutely um and with with that so I I know I've spoken to a, a few mums that have had hip dysplasia and that had children you know natural birth and things have been absolutely fine um, but is that again something that was discussed, you know, whether it would, you know, to, to reassure you that either option, whether you were to go for a cesarean or a natural birth would um, be possible and absolutely fine either way? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was definitely something that was discussed. And I was just nervous because you don't know. I'm like, how is this going to impact my ability to even just carry a child? Because my dysplasia is really, really bad. Um, so my surgeon said that after my PAO surgery, I should be able to safely carry a child, mm -hmm. but more than likely, I will not be able to have a natural birth. I'll have to have a C-section. Um, he recommended that I go talk to an OBGYN about this. And I had my annual with my um, gynecologist a few months ago. And of course they were, you need to go see another specialist. <laughs> so I decided, <laughs> I decided at that time, not to put more stress on myself, because if I went and saw this other specialist and who knows what they're going to say, maybe good news, maybe bad news. It was just going to stress me out even more leading up to my next PAO surgery. So I decided I'm not going to go talk to anybody else about that. So like get through my next surgery. Um, but my main surgeon, he's confident that I should be able to 
have children, I probably just will have to have a C-section. Um, worse comes to worse, but what we'll have to see. Of course, it's another specialist. <laughs> Absolutely, and that this is the thing as well. You know, every case is so completely individual, so there's not one answer that that works for everybody. It's not you know you've got hip dysplasia and you've had this surgery and you will be able to do this and this and this. Everybody's case is so different, and again, it goes back to you know you were talking about you can't compare yourself to anybody, whether mm. with your rehab, whether it's you know, with your work afterwards, whether it's, you know, to do with raising a family, you can't compare any of it because everybody's surgery is just so different. So yeah, another great reminder there to not compare yourself with anybody for those outcomes. So yeah. you um, you had just mentioned work there. You said that you've got your own podca podcast um, talking about real estate. So um, what is it that you're doing um, with your work at the moment? Sure, absolutely. So I have a nine to five where I'm the CMO of a large real estate brokerage here in Florida. And I also host a podcast all about real estate marketing. So it's marketing tips for real estate agents, because that's my passion. That's what I have been doing for a long time. I did have to take off two months for my last surgery from my actual job, November and December. I'm taking two, and at the time I thought, well, that is crazy. That seems like a long time to take off of work. I needed, no, I actually needed probably more time than that. When I came, when I went to work the first day back, I bought myself this like embarrassing looking spaceship recliner office chair for my office to try to like lean back and support my feet up. I came back, I was in so much pain that first night. I thought, surely I have broken something. I have done something wrong. I have messed up my recovery. So I'm taking two months off again for this surgery, but I'm probably gonna, you know, part-time working from home, figure something out, be kinder to my body because it obviously takes me longer to recover than the average person. And in the beginning, I was worried, well, like, two months off for a surgery, people, they're not going to understand that. I didn't even understand it. I just saw it was a recommendation, but now I've kind of come to the point where I'm like, this is my health and I'm going to do what's best for my health. And that's what I'm doing when it comes to my actual job. And then for like my podcast, I've just been busy trying to batch content, record episodes and get ahead of things so that there aren't any disruptions moving forward like last time. And I think that that has been huge for me to have that to focus on, especially this week in between surgeries where I'm mentally, I feel fine right now. Yeah. And that I'm able to put my nervous energy into that. I'm one of those people that when I'm upset, I'm a cleaner or an organizer around the house. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of those people so when you can't like physically move around like I need an outlet to pour my energy into so it's been really great being able to do that that's wonderful so is um, your podcast for um, people that aren't working in real estate or is it for people that you know own their own houses and are looking to you know put it on the market so who's it for yeah, absolutely. It's for people who are real estate agents. So maybe they are just entering the field as a real estate agent. A lot of people are transitioning to becoming realtors or they're already in real estate and they've been in real estate for years. It's marketing advice that they can use to further grow their business. Um, because here in the States, real estate agents, they work solely on commission. So how they market themselves to generate business, make connections, form relationships. And I talk a lot about social media marketing, which is funny because that's actually how we connected 
probably exactly. on Instagram through a hashtag. So it's things like that and how you're able to connect with people that I'm very, very passionate about. Amazing. So um, just give it a little plug for me. What's it called um, and where can they find it? If anyone. Yeah, interested. absolutely. So if you're interested in real estate marketing or you know somebody who could benefit from that, it's at ideas for real estate. And that's all of the social media accounts, my website and everything, or Apple podcasts too, ideas for real estate. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so, so much. This has been an incredible conversation. Um, and I really appreciate the time that you've given today to share your story. And I know that there will be so many people that will listen to it and appreciate your openness with this discussion today. So thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and um, we'll speak soon. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week again with another inspiring and incredible guest. If you'd like to be on the podcast and come and share your story, then please just send me an email at laura at helpforhipdysplasia.com. You can also find me on Instagram at laura.rutterford or by searching help for hip dysplasia and send me a message on there. I really look forward to speaking with you. We'll see you again next week.